They shout it, Marius. Keep the ball down. They, they, the coach he say, keep the ball down, Marius. Keep the ball down. If you don't keep the ball down, the ball go up. So yeah, I'm gonna try and tune in a little bit to the Reds. Is this gonna be the year, Andy? Uh, no, I wouldn't bet on it. And she came to him 
And he lived with her, and she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house, and the woman conceived. So she sent and told David the king, and said, I am with child. And we remember all the steps that David took to try and cover his sin. And we find out one truth that comes out. You can't hide sin from God. You might be able to hide your sin from somebody else. You might be able to fool all the people around you. But you've never fooled God. And David had gotten to the place where, okay, well, he had killed off her husband by putting him out on the battlefront and then telling everybody but him, we're going to retreat now. Uh, and uh, so he's killed. And so after the period of mourning we studied last time, how that, that uh, David said, okay, I'm going to marry her, I'm going to make this right, and uh, nobody will know. It's covered. It's a done deal. I'm king. Kingdom's growing. Everything's fine. I've, I've got this. And then who stepped into the palace of the king? Who? That was a question. Not a rhetorical question. Nathan. 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 Nathan stepped in and he told him a story about what? A lamb. A you lamb. He says, now, oh king, I, I've got a terrible story to tell you. In your kingdom, there was a man who had thousands of sheep. Just thousands of them. And there was one guy who had one you lamb on his farm. That's all he had. And, uh, but that, the one who had many saw that one and he wanted it. He tried to buy it. The guy wouldn't sell it. And he killed him and took his ewe lamb. And David said, the man who did that will surely die. And Nathan looked up at him and said, you're the man. You're the man. We have a rule here that you, you have to sing the song that comes up on your phone. <laughs> I hope it doesn't happen to me because I think I turned mine off. Or else I'm going to try and... I don't know if there's any words to the Indiana Jones team. But uh, we'll try. Okay. So, how many of you in your Bibles, if you turn to Psalm 51, turn to Psalm 51, at the top of the psalm, there's in fine print, smaller print, a superscription in front of that. Does anybody have that in your Bible? Prayer of repentance. Huh? Prayer of repentance. Well, there's more than that, usually. Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him, after he had gone into Bathsheba. If you don't have that in your Bible, you got a cheap invitation. No, I'm just In most, in most, uh, most translations, when you turn to Psalm 51 and several of the other psalms. Remember, we've talked about this numerous times. The superscriptions were not put in at the time of the writing. They were put in years later when the psalms was the hymn book for the gathering of the tabernacle. And the superscriptions, though, were 
historical setting of what this psalm was about. How many of you do not have that superscription right underneath Psalm 51's numbers? How many of you have it? Well, two minutes ago, none of us, nobody had it. How many of you got it now? Oh, it magically appeared. If you don't have one like that, I'll pass this one around and you can see it on the top of Psalm 51. The superscription. And it's uh, when it was made into the psalm, psalm, the psalmetry and the psalms for the, the temple worship, they put these in there. So every time it was sung or read, this same thing was put in there. Somebody read it for us again. Jamie, you have it. Read it for us. Yeah, 51? Yeah. The whole thing? No, no, I'm talking about the superstructure. Oh, read for, it again. For the choir director, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Okay. So, every time they sang this psalm, that was at the, the first part of it. It was instructions to the song leader of how to sing it. And every time it was sung or read, usually it was sung. And we're not going to try that. But usually it was sung. David would be reminded, and the people would be reminded, that the king had sinned. Think about that. Think about that. So David, who thought he had covered his sin, is now confronted with it every time the psalm is read. <clears throat> so now we're going to look at the psalm. Okay? We're going to look at Psalm 51. Go ahead and turn to Psalm 51. This is David's response to being convicted about his sin that he hadn't fooled anybody, especially God, and that he had pronounced a death sentence on himself. Remember that? The man who did that will surely die. I bet he wanted to eat his words. I, I was driving by someplace today, and I, it had a motto out front. He says, you know, choose your words. Make your words sweet. You may have to eat them. <laughs> David had said the man who did this will surely die so you're the man and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon David and he he began to weep he didn't brush it off he'd been found out and God sent the prophet so let me read the Psalm 51 you follow along in whatever translation you have there I'm using the New King James translation. <clears throat> it has the basis of the King James without the these and the thou's. Okay. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. 
For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. That you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop. We'll talk about that later. And I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones you've broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit, a steadfast spirit. I'm reading, I'm reading New King James and I just got into my King James memory there. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. Uh, we're going to stop there because I don't think we'll even come close to getting that far. If we get further than what I think, we'll read that then. We're going to walk through this psalm, song of repentance. That every time, and in the Hebrew calendar, they have a set calendar for when various portions of Scripture are read. And once a year, at least, in the, in the temple, in the synagogues today, Psalm 51 is read or sung by a cantor. But Psalm 51 not only shows up one time for sure, but before every high and holy day when they had sacrifices in the Old Testament, when they were gathering for a feast, Psalm 51, so that people were reminded even the king sins. And the king had to repent. Guess what? You're no better than the king. <clears throat> One thing before we start our study on this that I want to make clear. <clears throat> there would not have been a Psalm 51 without a 2 Samuel chapter 11 when Nathan confronted him. He would have had, he thought he had his sin covered, didn't he? He thought he was cool with everybody. Every, everything was fine. Everything was okay. He thought he'd put one over on everybody. Who's going to tell? God did. Now, the smart money would be on, if you know something bad about the king, <laughs> what would the, where would the smart money ride on that? Keep your mouth shut. Keep your mouth shut. <laughs> keep your mouth shut. But what does this tell us about sin, conviction, our responsibility as Christians if we know the, the truth of the Word of God? What's our responsibility? Is it to keep our mouth shut? There's a laid out in Scripture. I can't remember where it's at. But it talks to us about how there's, you have something against somebody. Ezekiel 3. Yeah, where you go to them first and uh, confront them about it. Okay, I'm, not, I, I'm on the wrong 
Scripture. Ezekiel 3 says, If the Lord tells you, O prophet, to go and tell people about their sin, and you go and tell them, and they don't repent, you're cool with me. Right. But if I tell you to go and tell them about their sin, and they, or you don't go and tell them, you're in a heap of trouble. You have a responsibility to tell the truth. And it's not that you just walk around the streets of Columbus and say, I see that. Nathan went when he was sent by God. You are not the avenging angel, my friend, nor am I. But how's the world going to know if it's not brought to their attention? David thought he had he was cool. Everything was fine. He was sitting on his throne. Everything was wonderful. There would have been no Psalm 51 without 2 Samuel 11 and the pointed finger of Nathan in his face. There are those today who would tell us we shouldn't do that because it offends people. It bothers people. You tell them that, it, well, that's wrong. I'd rather bother somebody and let them know it's wrong so that they can repent like David did right. than to wish I had said something later. They die and wind up in hell. Yeah. One of the great magicians of, of the last few decades, um, Penn, of Penn and Teller, says, um, how much do you have to hate someone? And he's an atheist. And he says, how much do you have to hate someone to know the truth, believe people are going to an actual hell, and yet not bring them the truth? He says, if somebody's standing out and they don't see a truck barreling down on them, at some point I'm physically going to attack them. You know, because it's for their own good. And so as, even as an atheist, he says, I don't, uh, I don't trust Christians and I don't appreciate those that don't prophesize, that don't actually bring yeah. them the gospel. Yeah, if, if we are in a position where the Holy Spirit moves upon, the Lord moves upon you, and someone says, well, what do you think about that? And the Holy Spirit said, tell them. Yeah. <laughs> Have you had something like that happen to you? <laughs> something like that happened to me on a numerous occasions. <laughs> and it's, there's always a temptation. <laughs> well, I don't want to hurt the enemy. I don't want to hurt their feelings. But I'd rather have them know what they need to do to get their act together than to lament what I didn't share with them. If I, have, if I could have helped somebody or steered somebody out of the path of the truck, and I didn't do it because I didn't want to hurt them, you know, I, shoving them would hurt them, right? But I bet they thank you for the shove. Yeah. If it got them out of the way of the truck. And if you're standing out on, on Deverest here, and I don't think there is one, but south of here, if there was a big, deep chasm with the bridge across it, and the bridge was out, and you went out here and waved off people, they said, no, I'm going south. No, no, the bridge is out. The bridge is out. They thanked you when they got to the bridge, and they were able to stop in time. And yet, in today's society, you're supposed to just swallow it 
keep it to yourself and let people go headlong into hell rather than warn them you don't have to go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell. He's not willing that any should perish. And uh, after all of the tragedy in in Nashville past few days <clears throat> you've heard about that, correct? It's on all the news channels. <clears throat> and the person that I really respected in this whole thing before this lady who thought she was a guy went to, you know, uh, went to kill little children and adults in a Christian school, before she went, she called somebody she used to go to school with and said, there's going to be, you know, some, watch the news, there's going to be things happening. That person did not say, well... She could have meant anything. I think I'll just keep this to myself. No, she got right on the phone. She started contacting uh, authorities. If it, if, if it was just a, a wrong comment or an offhand comment, she'd apologize later. But she could sleep at night knowing she at least tried to send out a warning. Send out a warning. You remember the Uvalde massacre at the school there? You remember the chief of police who did not order them to go in? He no longer has a job, nor is he having a prospect of getting one any time future. He knew the situation was going down, and no, nah, well, well, let's see how this plays out. Well, that's how it played out. All those children being killed. So, an important message of Psalm 51 is you wouldn't have Psalm 51. You wouldn't have a repentant king. You'd have a king that would have continued on in his sin and iniquity if he starts off with murder and adultery. Guess where he's going to end up? But one scrawny little prophet stuck his nose in his face. And the Holy Spirit moved upon him to repent. And that's what we're going to study tonight. Look at verse 1. It's a cry for mercy. You don't want justice. You want mercy. Amen. Folks, we don't want justice in a biblical sense here. Because the wages of sin is death, and we're all sinners. Uh, fall short of the glory of God, but we can turn to the Lord and receive forgiveness. We're, we're leaning on heavy on God's mercy. And even David, the king, realized there was nothing in his power to turn this thing around. He was throwing himself on the mercy of God. It says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness. What does that mean? Anybody? What does that mean? Because of who he, because of who God is. Because of his nature and who God is. Uh, have mercy upon me, not because of me. 
but because of you. How you are. It's David is not saying, have mercy upon me because I've been a wonderful king. I'm an all-round great guy. I've won victories and battles. I slew the giant Goliath. I did all these great things and people are cheering me when it... No. That sounds like Saul. Yeah, exactly. First Samuel and the lessons from Saul's life. He, he was building himself up for a great fall. But David asked for mercy not based upon his behavior in his life but based completely upon God's mercy and his loving kindness. I need some people to look up some scriptures and read them out loud for me today. We got a little bit behind here. Uh, I need somebody to read Psalm 17, verse 7 and 8. Who did that? Just float your hand up. Equal opportunity. Okay. Psalm 26, 2 and 3. Okay, you got that one. Okay, Psalm 42, 8. Art's got that. Psalm 63, 3 and 4. Going once. Okay, Andy's got that. Wait a minute. Psalm 103, 1 through 5. You missed out on the easy ones. Only one verse wonders. We'll do that one. Okay. Greg's got that. Psalm 103, verse 13. Could you take that too since it's just a few steps down from where you're going to be? Okay. Let's go back. Psalm 17, verses 7 and 8. Listen for this word, loving kindness. Who did you give it to? Huh? I don't remember. Yeah, I saw three hands. You got that. Okay. I didn't look it up. No, no, no. You do it. I have short-term memory loss. <laughs> we knew that. Expect to me to remember that. <laughs> is that the way it is, Roy? Oh, it's not Roy. Didn't mean uh, to put you on the spot. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't keep a track. Okay. <laughs> Show your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand, O oh, you who saved those who trust in you, from those who rise up against them. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me under the shadow of your wings. From the but this is David also writing, right? This is yeah. David also writing. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's responding to God and what God does. Show me your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. What in the world does that mean? By your right hand. Not your left hand. Your right hand. What's your right hand? Dominant hand? Hand of strength, yeah. The strong hand. Uh, you remember in various places in the scripture it says, sit on my right hand. It's a place of authority and power. Uh, my right hand man. He shows kindness by not letting us get away with our behavior. So a loving kindness is not just loving someone, but loving them enough to do what's necessary to mold and shape their lives. Show me your marvelous loving kindness by your right hand. Uh, Psalm 26, verses 2 and 3. And I do not remember 
who oh, I gave that to. Linda, you got it. Okay. Linda's got it. David saying here in the Psalms about the loving kindness of God. It's unfailing. It's unfailing. And faithful. Faithful. And you see it everywhere. Right? Uh, examine me, O Lord. Prove me. Try my mind and my heart. For your loving kindness <clears throat> is before my eyes. If you look around, you can see God's loving kindness that he loves but he also corrects. You can see God's loving kindness. You can see that he loved David. What, is, what did God say about David? That he was the apple of his eye. The apple of his eye. And that, that no one was quite like David in his eyes. And yet God loved David enough To rebuke him for his sin. And we can see, as you look around, you can see God's loving kindness. We can see the ramping up of evil around us pretty clearly, right? But if you tune your, your attention, you can see God's loving kindness as well. He's still trying to reach people. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. It's his loving kindness. Uh, Psalm 42, verse 8. Yeah. Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime, and in the night his song shall be with me, and my prayer unto the God of my life. Ooh, like that one. His loving kindness is not just when everything's bright and shiny. Wasn't it a pretty day today? But you know, it's not supposed to be that nice this weekend, right? It's supposed to be yicky. Now, I, we had a wonderful time in Florida. And while you were here uh, suffering uh, in the gray, cold, I was taking your part on the beach. I, I was having a wonderful time. Sometimes things are going real well. And his loving kindness is at work. But sometimes in the night, when things are blackest, he's the same God. Yeah. Yeah. He's the same God in the dark times as he is in the daytime. Maybe it's just me, but have you ever noticed that everything seems to get worse at night? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Health-wise. You young people, you don't yes. know anything we're talking about here. You young people, I, I, I'm you know, I can stay up all night, no problem. Well, you get a little age on it. And you can be fine all day long. And of an evening. Where'd that come from? Well, I got it. I got it. Linda and I, our pattern is we'll we'll come home of an evening and we'll try to watch the evening news. We'll fall asleep. Oh yeah. But then we said, honey, we, we, we probably ought to just go to bed. How I many of you have done this? You're with oh, me. Yeah. You, you've fallen asleep in your chair numerous times. Yeah, you, you, you go to bed. 
You think you could fall asleep? You, you think that your legs and arms and everything would stop hurting that? No! That's when they kick in the gear. How many of you have ever had leg cramps at night? Just, just, oh boy! Oh boy! Yeah. His loving kindness is not just present in the good times. But at night when everything seems dark. And in the night his song shall be with me. There's an old, old hymn that says, You can have a song in your heart in the night. After every trial, after every mile, nobody singing with me. Anyone can sing when the sun's shining bright. But it takes a song in your heart at night. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm going to get a crowbar out of everybody. Yeah, it's true. I, I'm older than all of you. I know all these old songs. Okay, Psalm 63, 3 and 4. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Ah. Okay, I'm going to try again. Can you remember this scripture song? Yeah. Anybody? Yeah. Tom? Yeah. Anybody but Tom? <laughs> <laughs> like this. Just from the scripture. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee. I will lift up my hands unto thy name. Well, so I heard some back there. Thank you, Tom. Because your loving kindness is better than life. How many realize sometimes life is not all that great? You have bad things happen in life. But his loving kindness is still there. It's better than life. Because it's life-giving. And what does David say in Psalm 63 as a result of his God's loving kindness in his life? What does he say he'll do? Praise you. My lips will praise you. I'm gonna I'm gonna praise the Lord. This has become a foreign concept to many today. Many people know how to complain. To grumble, to find fault, to play the blame game. We talked about that several weeks ago. But when we see his loving kindness around us, it should spark us to praise him in the midst of it. And people will think you're crazy. They'll think you're nuts. Well, what do you have to be so happy about? <laughs> God's still on the throne, and I'm his child. 
we're in good shape here. Doesn't matter how bad it gets, I know where I'm headed. We have the, the memorial service, uh, the viewing and memorial service for Rita Stewart. And she was so thrilled several years ago. When I first came to the church here, I had the Stewart family here, Rhonda and the kids, but no Terry. Because Terry had walked away from God and had no time for him. He would make the kids come because Rita, his mom, made him go. And Rita prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for Terry. You know how thrilled she was. How many of you were there for that water baptism service several years ago? And we're out at Marsh's pool and coming out in swimming trunks ready to be baptized, unbeknownst to Rhonda, is Terry. And she was <laughs> She thought she was just gathered there for her sister, her sister to be baptized. Her sister was dying with cancer and uh, gave her heart to the Lord, wanted to be baptized in water, and we did it out there. And while she's down in the water, then out steps Terry. And there was more water in the pool now because Ron is just bawling her eyes out. And Terry's now, he serves on the board and has for several years now. And uh, there's something to praise about. Words of praise. And we know where Rita is. She's in the presence of the Lord. The Bible tells us that to be absent from this body, for believers, to be present with the Lord. And it says for the believers that one moment you breathe your last, but then you you're right into the presence of the Lord. Hallelujah. And that's where Rita went Sunday morning at 6.15. 6.15 and a half. <coughs> and she went home. But she witnessed prayers that were answered of her children coming to Christ. She still has some that are apart from God. We're believing at the memorial service, at the graveside, and perhaps even at the family dinner. Some of the ones that Rita's been praying for. Some of the grandkids that have distanced themselves from God. What a tribute for them to come home to Christ. What a tribute. Your loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Thus, I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. We've talked about it many times before, but what's the symbol of uplifted hands? There's a variety of symbols in the scripture. The what? Surrender. Surrender. Lifting up hands. <laughs> what? Say what? Come on. Pass it back, Andy. Pass it back. Give it to Jim. 
Tom's out of control. I don't know. Tom's out of control. I don't know if I can resist it. You're not supposed to. You're not supposed to lift heavy things. Give it to Give it to Christy. She'll show show no mercy. I'll give it to the guy with If I have a hundred dollar bill, I know where to hide it. Where you boys won't find it. Under a bar of soap. <laughs> I never quite got him clean enough. Never quite got him. And behind your ears. Oh my, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Oh. My goodness gracious. So uh, lift up clean hands. That you're showing the Lord. My my the things that I'm doing are righteous. But what I like especially is you with loving kindness and tender mercies. What does it mean to crown someone with loving kindness? We've talked about what loving kindness is, but a, a crown, to crown someone with loving kindness. What do you think of when you think of a crown? Jewels, clothing, um, when the the Queen of England passed away this past year, and Psalm fifty-one seven, verse two and verse seven. Okay, I'm going to look and see who volunteers. Who will volunteer? Okay, Chauncey's got. It. You were asking a question? Yeah. Yeah. 51, verse 2. 51, 2 and 7. Oh, two answers. Answer. That would be two verses. 51, 2 and 7. Okay. Psalm 51, verse 2. That, yeah, that's it. Okay. That would be, that would be Psalm 51, <laughs> verse 2. <laughs> And seven. Right, let's go for that. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 7. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Okay. What is David saying here? He's already asked for God's mercy. What's he asking for now? To make him clean. To make me clean. The stain of sin, just because you're sorry for it, doesn't mean it's been taken care of. If, if, if that was the case, wouldn't it be interesting that uh, at a court hearing, when someone admits that they're guilty, and the judge would say, oh, okay. Go about your business. <laughs> you know, you're, uh, uh, that's fine. You admitted you were wrong. You've done a bad thing. Go enjoy. Uh, what doesn't happen in a court of law like that? Is, is it supposed to, anyway? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a price to be paid. Just David admitting he was messed up does not clean him up. 
Just being messed up and acknowledging it doesn't mean that you've been cleaned up. Mm -hmm. uh, any parents have any situations where your kids were a mess, but they they still needed a clean? Yeah. Anybody have any good story before I tell one? Oh, come on. Oh, come on. Three boys in my in my family growing up. My two big brothers and myself. I was the young little one. And uh, next door to our grandparents' house, they started building a home. They dug the footer. And then they ran out of money. And so all that was there was the footer around this big house they were building. And it was old, kind of bubblegum bubble blue uh, clay. And it held water. And my, my brothers and I and all the neighbor kids were having races. <laughs> in the footer filled with water. <laughs> oh my goodness, was that fun. And, and, and then, then we heard the whistle. That was my dad's famous whistle that called all of us boys and the dog uh, to the house for supper. And we all just came just as we were. The old song. Just as I am. And mom would let us in the house. But you called us. Yeah. We came. Yeah. What you been doing? We've been over swimming in the in the, the mud. And we're covered. You can't even see our eyes or our face. You're just covered with mud. And she said, you're not coming in the house till you get cleaned up. She had a nice meal prepared for us. I don't remember what it was, but but I sure wanted it right then. And uh, but there was no way, just because I admitted I was dirty, did not get me supper. <laughs> there needed to be a cleansing going on. David has admitted he is messed up big time. He has sinned against God, against Uriah, against Bathsheba, against uh, his position and everything else. But he still needs cleansing from our sin. When we come to God and we admit we've messed up, yes, that's good. But there's nothing you and I can do to clean ourselves up. Mm -hmm. It's going to take God's help. And He realized, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with His. What in the world is His? Branch used to branch. Yeah, it speaks of the sacrificial system and how that the on the Passover they would take the branch of the hyssop bush and they would apply blood to the door and lintel posts of their house to uh, have death pass over. And so it speaks about purge me with the sacrifice of sin, with the blood. You know the old song. What can wash away my sin?
got a little shaky there in the second verse, but <laughs> second stanza. But God's cleansing, it's going to him and saying, could you wash my sin away with the blood of the sacrifice of your son Jesus? Lord, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. I have that song on here ready to play for you tonight. And the internet is having issues this evening. Mm -hmm. And so it went kind of like this. Look, 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 And I didn't think it would be a blessing to you. So the old, the old hymn, any of you know it? Is it in the book? Check and see if it's in either the white or the brown. I'm pretty sure it is. Whiter than snow. It should be several of them floating around here. Whiter than is it in there? I didn't check it out because I had it on the screen ready to go. 384 maybe in the brown book. In the brown book. 384 in the brown book. And well, I haven't found it yet. Oh, come on. Oh, you got the wrong book. I got the wrong book. <laughs> Three and four. I didn't want to call you out. But okay. <laughs> Three and four. Well, I don't need the book. I know. Okay. Yeah, you. Okay. Ready to try it? How many of you know? I've heard this old song. Lord Jesus, I long to be perfectly whole. I want thee forever to dwell in my soul. Break down every idol, cast out every foe. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Whiter than snow, yes, whiter than snow. Now wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. It's not enough just to be sorrow, sorrowful for your sin. We've got to go to the Lord and ask Him to clean up our lives and forgive us through the sacrifice of Jesus. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's through the, the hyssop or the sacrifice of the blood applied to our sin account. And <clears throat> You can't cleanse yourself. What do people try and do to clean up their life and say, well, I, I, I deserve to go to heaven uh, because of this. How, how do some people try and clean up their life? I do good deeds. You know, I, I've done all this and I've done good good deeds. Uh, huh? I'm a good person. And my parents were wonderful people. I gave a lot of money. I gave a lot of money. That'll cure it all. They measure themselves by what the world says is good, yeah. and they think that's good enough for God, and it's not. They won an award from the world for being a really nice guy and a humanitarian and uh, all that good stuff. But that doesn't cleanse your sin away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 
and asking Jesus to wash our sin account away. It's basically, it's we put our sin before the Lord, we acknowledge it as David did, and then we're asking him to put the paid in full stamp on it because Jesus died to pay the price for our sin. He went to the cross in our place. So, David recognized the fact it wasn't enough that he was sorry for what he'd done, that he felt guilty. We need God's help in this matter. You can't clean up your life enough to make you ready for heaven. Amen. I can't either. I can't do enough good deeds. I can't give enough money. I can't have people like me enough. It's going to take a work of God to do it. And that's what David does. He asks God to do the cleaning. Wash me. Cleanse me. Purge me. And I shall be clean. Wash me. And I shall be whiter than snow. <clears throat> now look at the next segment of verses and boy are we in trouble. <laughs> oh well. Look at verses 3 through 6. Could somebody read verses 3 through 6? I'll take a show of hands so I'm not embarrassed. Okay, great. Guys. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Okay. He is owning it. You remember when we were studying King Saul, when King Saul was confronted with his sin, what did he do? He denied it. Tried to justify himself. Justify it. What else did he do? Blamed others. He blamed others. He blamed the Well, those people that you made me king over, they're the messed up ones. <laughs> it's all those faults. Like the, the outfielder we talked about that misses a fly ball and looks at his glove. <laughs> and they're not allowed to do it in the in the majors. It's only a little league in high school ball when you see that happen. They'll find the big times if they look at their glove. They don't want them to play the guilt game, the blame game. But Saul, King Saul, wouldn't own it. He was confronted just by a prophet, Samuel, just like David was confronted by Nathan the prophet. Saul wouldn't own it. He blamed everybody else. If you're a member of the Blame Somebody Club, it's hard for you to find true repentance because it's always somebody else's fault. How many of you were in a, raised in a family where maybe you were the one that they pointed the finger at uh, and you were the, the blame? Anybody here? Well, do it. How's that feel? <laughs> I'm with you, brother. I was the youngest in my family. It's usually because I did it. 
Where are you? Every evening, God came down and walked in the cool of the day with them. Adam! It wasn't because God didn't know. He wanted them to acknowledge, to own it. Adam! Oh, oh, it's you, Lord. Yes, Adam, it is. Uh, we, we heard you and we were afraid because we were naked. And they says, oh, I shouldn't have said that. He would have never noticed. Lord says, well, who told you you were naked? That woman. You gave me. Took it right out of my side. One of my ribs. Right over there. She's the one who gave it to me. Did you have to eat it? Well, she gave, she made supper out of it. Eve, is that true? Well, that serpent you made. She shifted the blame to God. You made, you made the devil. You, you got him there. It's all his fault. He said, okay, enough of that. So, uh, it started off in the garden and it had to stop since. Uh, nobody had to teach you to mess up? Did, it, did any of you have to go to school to learn to do stupid things? Would you like to You're more educated fools. You're more educated fools. I've got, I've got several degrees and they just taught me how to be stupid in a much more elegant way. But David owns it. And then he talks about his sinful nature. And he says, my sinful nature is just another proof of God's righteousness. I come by this naturally, but God doesn't want to keep me that way. He wants to cleanse me and change me. Yeah. You know, that's another um, evidence that points towards the truthfulness of Christianity because so many other worldviews place uh, humanity as being as being at the heart good for the most part. But we're all just kind of good people deep down with some exceptions where the Bible says completely the opposite. Like, nope, you're pretty wretched. And so it seems like within all of the worldviews, we're the only one that seems to line up or correspond with reality. Yeah. It reminds you of that, uh, that old Aesop fable of the king's new clothes. Yeah. Remember that story? Not wearing any clothes. King went to the tailor and says, I, I don't want to just look good. I want to look good. And he says, well, King, I, I've come across some material that is state-of-the-art only the people will be able to see it. And they will, it's like spun gold. It's just phenomenal. You can't even see it. It's so fine. <laughs> well, make me a suit out of that. And so King pretends like he's putting it on. The guy says, is it, is it here? He says, oh, yeah. You walk out, the people are going to be amazed. <laughs> and so the king takes a stroll. There wasn't a, a Nathan in the crowd that day. Everybody said, oh, that's wonderful. Look at that outfit he's wearing. He's naked as a japer. 
<laughs> but he's strutting around, you know, until there's one little kid says, Mom, why is the king not wearing any clothes? <laughs> the tailor was soon relieved of his head. We're, we, we're messed up naturally. You didn't get this way by taking a course. You came by your stupidity naturally. So did I. Well, I'm offended, Pastor. I'm much smarter than you. Well, you probably are, but you're still messed up. And you need Jesus to clean you. Our sinful nature. Oh, my goodness. I've just got a couple more scriptures to read. We're going to have to stop halfway. We haven't even made it halfway through Psalm 51 yet. Let me read Romans 7, 14 and 15. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, soul under sin. But what am I doing? I do not understand. Have you ever been there? I don't know why I did that. Have you ever been there? Why in the world did I say that? Why did I do that? I've had when, when the children were growing up, and I, I said, why'd you lie to me? Uh, uh, I don't know, it just came out. I says, wouldn't the truth have been better? Yeah. But what, what, what am I doing? I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, there I go. That's not what I do. In verse in 8, 7, because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. It's, it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. You can't just be a really good sinner and make it into heaven. 1 Corinthians 3, 1-4. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal. Now these are church people. As to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now you are not able to receive it. And even now, you're still not able. For you are still carnal. Now, where there are envy, strife, divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm of a Paul and I'm of Apollo, are you not carnal? You are messed up. And, and so he's, he's letting us know that it's a natural thing to be messed up like that. But, God can clean us. You're not going to be able to clean yourself up, but you've got to own it first. Quit trying to blame somebody else. Well, it wasn't that bad. Compared to so-and-so, you don't get to compare with somebody else. If you're going to compare yourself with somebody, compare yourself with Jesus. Guess who's going to lose on that one? And i got just one more thing to say. It says, create in me a clean heart. What's the word create mean? What does that bring to? Ex nihilo. Yeah. Huh? Ex nihilo. Out, Out of nothing. Yeah. Create. God said there was. A clean heart cannot be manufactured by mortal man. It takes a supernatural creation of God. In you. you don't get better and better and better and better. Boop! Now I'm ready for heaven. No. It takes a sovereign act of God to create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit in us.
when it says create in me a clean heart it lets us know that I can't be good enough I can't do good enough I can't change enough stuff to be righteous in God's eyes it's going to take a creative work of in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth he spoke it into being he can speak a clean heart into our lives give me two more minutes no nah, I better not I, 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 uh, we're going to have to stop there I, I don't want to mess this one up I don't want to just kind of throw it under the bus this next part is really good it's David he's owned it he's acknowledged his sin he realizes he can't clean his own act up he owns it. He's asking for God's mercy, for God to do a sovereign, creative work within him. Not a, upon his achievements, but because of God's loving kindness. Then he comes to verse 12 and 13. says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We'll pick up next time with that verse. God is able to restore. You can lose your joy. Yes, you can. But God has the capacity of restoring the joy of our salvation. We're going to go back there next time and visit that portion of Scripture. We're going to close off this evening with prayer time. And then I have a joyous opportunity of going upstairs and doing a wedding. And, uh, but right now, before we go upstairs, we want to look at prayer requests. We want to pray for the Stewart family. As I mentioned earlier, uh, Rita's viewing is tomorrow afternoon and evening, 1 to 3, 5 to 7, in Newcomers Power. And we can give, give you the address if you didn't write it down. And then the service is, is Friday at 11 o'clock on Sunbury Road, North Columbus, just north of, uh, uh, just close to Morse Road, and that's at Life Church there. That's where uh, uh, Rita lived until she came down to live with Terry. And then the graveside will be in Glenrest in Reynoldsburg, and then we are having the family meal here, and we need your head to bring in some covered dishes and help to set up and clean up and all those good things. Also, Saturday, we want you to pray for a good turnout for our Israel tour meeting. And we're going to go over all kinds of details and, and fun stuff about Israel and the tour that's coming up in January of this next year. Other prayer requests tonight? Yeah. Pastor, I'd like your, everybody in here to pray for my mom. She three days ago she was in ICU yeah. in the hospital, and she, the Lord, has saw fit the prayers for her to get out and be here to watch us get married tonight. Praise God! Praise God! Could I have my deacons gather up here and take the anointing oil and go back and anoint our sister? Right here, it's in. I think it's called 
Don't mess her hair up.
Heavenly Father, we are thankful that your word tells us of your loving kindness. Extend to each of us. We may have been running from you. We may have distanced ourselves from you. But you're still on our trail. Tracking us down because you love us. You love us, but you won't let us get away with living far short of what your plans and purposes are. We thank you for that loving kindness, for that mercy. <clears throat> and we, Father, we're thankful that you're the only one that can really do the work on us that needs to be done. We can't clean ourselves up. We can look better on the outside, but only you can create a clean heart in us, and we thank you for it. We lift up the various needs that have been brought into this place tonight. Each of us has some people on our hearts that are going through difficult times. We do lift up the families and the entire community in Nashville, experiencing such grave loss and shock over these children and adults that were killed. Senseless. We ask Father God for you to be the comforter with them. You didn't do this. It was done by an evil person. And we ask Father God that you would show up by your Holy Spirit and help them through this difficult time. We ask Father God your hand to be with us. Be upon the Stewart family as the families gathered together to remember this godly woman and all the praying she did for her children and her grandchildren and her great-grandchildren. And I pray, Father, that during this time, some of the wanderers will come home to Jesus. We're asking, Father, for a, a move of your Holy Spirit on their lives. We ask your touch upon the, the gathering on Saturday here for the the Israel meeting, and Father, you'll just answer the questions and give a real excitement about going to follow the footsteps of Jesus in Israel. We pray your hand to be upon us as we leave this place. Go with us. Guide our steps. Direct our path. And we'll be careful to give you all praise and all honor because it's all about you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I'm going to close up shop. We'll, the wedding party will access the upstairs. And we'll be up there in just a few moments down front in the sanctuary. And I shall be whiter than snow.
Wash me and I.